Welcome back to Jessica and Carla's High School Reunion. Kyle Lee is our guest today. Since graduating from Stanford, Kyle has worked in a bunch of different industries and roles. Cancer biology, investment banking, semiconductors, telecom, mining, and most recently, education. For the last eight years, Kyle's been the CEO of CNM Ingenuity, the nonprofit revenue generating arm of Central New Mexico Community College, where he develops and manages programs that solve workforce needs and equip people to achieve their individual ambitions. Many years ago, Kyle turned the job of being Eric Burton's wingman into an opportunity to find his lifelong partner. And we were touched by Kyle's love and admiration for his wife, Kate, and their two children, Audrey and Dalton. Kyle and Kate have two rules for their children, listen and have fun. Perhaps those should be the rules for this podcast too. Listen and have fun. Today we have Kyle Lee joining us and I got out my yearbook and what he wrote to me is truly hilarious. Jessica, you know, being a sheltered country bumpkin, unexposed little boy, the addition of girls to the academy was truly an adjustment. But when I met you, I knew I had found the woman to bring the man out of me. (laughs) Of course, we never dated. We never went out. This is a great line. He said, don't ever change or maybe do. Some people want to. (laughs) I think that's so great. What a hoot. (laughs) I remember you telling me he was in your section in eighth grade. I believe he was. I don't think you're making that up. And I got to know him. I think the I really didn't get to know him until later in high school. We had history together, Miss Spencer's class, um, in which he was famously known for coming in late one day and sharing that his barn had burned down. And that was a big shock to Nancy Spencer, who was coming from urban areas <laughs> where that didn't happen. Right. Um, it was the best excuse she'd ever heard for being late, for sure. And, um, you know, then I got to know him pretty well that spring running track, and he was a lot of fun. And he went on to Stanford and was a runner there, which is an impressive feat because it's one of the best running programs in the country, was then and continues to be. So, you know, you don't just go to Stanford and run because, you know. Right. You're not out for a jog on the Stanford team. Yeah. And and I do remember he lived a little outside of town. He lived in Berlin. A lot of fond memories of him, especially in those later years. So, yeah. Well, I remember Kyle as being a little bit of a cut up, pushing pushing the boundary a little bit. So you can see that there was an edge there, but never deep enough to cut. <laughs> yeah. I can't wait to hear what he's doing now. I really can't. I'm really excited. Well, how's the rest of your how's the rest of your life, Carla? What's going on? Great. 
wait, oh my gosh, I just had the best meeting with Ryan Burke and we are getting ready to do our second round of our design for election season materials. Awesome. And there's so much interesting stuff going on right now. You know, I think I've been following a lot of what's happening right now in terms of higher education and critical discourse. And I know that's right up your alley Mm -hmm. and that's stuff really working on. But, you know, our our bent on designing for election season is not at all the civics education. It really is about how do you have open conversation? How do you create spaces that may go well beyond what some people would call a safe space, but rather really open to interesting conversation, to have lots of diversity in viewpoints. And it really does bring me back to the fact that I had friends from, you know, when I was growing up, all different political opinions and mm-hmm. didn't make me like them less or more, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the conversations I would have with some of our classmates were sometimes a little fiery, a little feisty. I would had an opinion, but it wasn't about trying to change someone else's opinion, you know, and, and rather to just be open to hearing another opinion. Mm-hmm. And of course, Someone who comes from a lot of privilege (laughs) in many different ways, privilege of education, privilege, socioeconomic privilege, um, race. I mean, I think there's a lot of things that I have that enable me to be a little bit more open to lots of viewpoints Mm -hmm. uh, because they don't necessarily pose a threat to my identity or many of my identity factors. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I'd be curious to hear from you what you're learning about and all of that. And I just went to see Barry Weiss last week. I so. did. Um, and I thought her talk was really thought provoking. What strikes me about your comment about being able to have those kind of conversations when we were in school and how difficult it is to have those kind of conversations now is um, some data I saw last week that mm. half they've surveyed college students and more than half of college students said they would either absolutely refuse or feel very uncomfortable about rooming with someone who voted for the other party in the presidential mm-hmm. election. And that's true on both sides. Right. Whether you voted right or left, you right. do not want to be exposed to people that disagree with you, at least in your roommate situation. And I'm sure there are lots of reasons for that, but I think um, the tendency to demonize people for the beliefs that they hold you know, is a big problem um, in our in our culture right now. And um, there's lots of skills that go along with that, right? I mean, curiosity and openness is a big part of it, but so is emotion regulation. And obviously critical thinking, it could just be based on your values, but you should have at least considered what the other viewpoints might be. Well, acknowledge the fact that we don't all have the same set of core values. Right. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Um, yeah, it's, it's so interesting. I'd be really curious to see that survey. And I'm curious to see what schools were surveyed. Was it national? Was it public and private mm-hmm. universities? Mm-hmm. Was it all four? universities? Was it community colleges as well? I know you don't necessarily room with someone at a community college, so maybe they didn't. I'm curious about gender lines too. I don't know why I think that, but you know, Jackson is rooming with a good friend he's made who is very different politically than he is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He's super 
He's like, whatever. You know, <laughs> he does not share that. He's on the other 50% right. of people. Um, but I wonder if there's any, you know, gender or other demographics yeah. about what would make you think that. I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, I don't either. I didn't see anything drilled down on that, but. And here we go. Hello, Kyle. At long last. I'm so sorry about last time. Oh, it's no problem. Nothing like a, not like a time zone to throw you off. <laughs> it happens. Yes. Happens to the best of us. And let me tell you, yeah. we are the very best right here on this call, the three of us. You two are. I'm sorry to bring the average down. Oh, not at all. Oh my gosh. It's so great to see you. And I, I really don't know, Kyle, if I have seen you since we graduated. Probably not. I've been, um, I've been laying low. You make so it. So it, it is great to see you, you guys. I, I could pick you out of a lineup. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's been a long time, and I haven't, I have been pretty quiet in the universe. So, what convinced you to come on this podcast? Um. You know, Chris Eisbach told me about it, um, and then I went and looked at it, and I just thought it was a really, I don't know, there's probably two reasons. And I just thought it was a super clever idea, and I thought it was really neat that you were doing it, and really neat stuff has come out of it. So that was mm -hmm. one. And then um, both of my kids went to the academy, and my daughter just graduated, and she's she was really successful there, and she did some really cool things and they continue to call her and she continues to be super involved with the Academy. Um, and my son will graduate this year. They're 15 months apart. And I don't know, I, um, my son and I will share like, um, the five year anniversary date. Right. So he'll be, oh, yeah. um, so I drifted away and it was so important to my daughter and my son will be interesting to watch and see. I just felt like it was important to reconnect for them because mm -hmm. um, it is something special that you're a part of when you're there that sticks with you for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. And anyway, my daughter, um, her name's Audrey. She, she was the manager on the football team. And when she left, they asked her to be a coach. So she was actually a football team coach this last year. Um, and now they've asked her to come back and be a coach next year. We'll see if she does it. And then they asked her to be a track coach. But anyway, so she's just super integrated with the school. And it's just, anyway, important for her to be a part of it. So I decided I'd be a better role model and be a part of something. <laughs> what was it like for you to be a parent at the school? Uh, the return trip is so weird. <laughs> like the rebound trip is a, super weird. Um, it's funny. When my kids started in sixth grade, there were people that really – actually their whole time there that really knew me really well. Dr. Vraspier in particular, yeah. for one story. Mm -hmm. um, so my kids, if I get asked about the courses I've taken in my life that were most transforming, the class that I most often bring up is Dr. Vraspier's class on symbolic logic because mm -hmm. it changed how I wrote and it changed how I thought and it changed a lot mm -hmm. of things. So my kids get into school and they're taking classes and Dr. Vraspier offers the class. And my daughter is a senior and my son's a junior and Audrey... Audrey graduated with really sort of a profoundly high GPA. Um, and then my son's done really, really well also. And they're like, we're going to take symbolic logic. And I'm like, well, kiss your GPA goodbye. Um, 
anyway, they, anyway, they took it anyway. So they both signed up for the, it was the only class the two of them took together. And it was really fun to watch them sit together and they study really well together and they did, they think completely differently, but it was, it worked mm. for them. But as they went, they went to Dr. Rasper to go like, should I take this class? And he goes to his file cabinet, he opens it up, he climbs through, he climbs through the files and he pulled out a paper that Dan Clifford and I wrote together um, 30 some wow. years ago. Crisp, crisp is the day we wrote it. Um, he was really funny. He's like, it was really clear that uh, Kyle had partnered with Dan, um, but he man still managed to get through this class. Anyway, um, um, I love anyway, we were copy of it. I've been wanting to try and send it to him over LinkedIn or something. I think he'd laugh about it. But. So great. Wow. I loved having him as a teacher. I had him two years in a row for math and I was not a math student, but I adored him. I thought he was just such a good math teacher and yep. um, liked him as a person. He was funny and, and yeah. I'm so glad he's still there. Um, still coaching well, he track. Was gonna <laughs> he was going to, he, um, God, he coached a lot of things. So like the year after we graduated, he coached the track team, the boys team to a state championship. I don't know what he was coaching now. Um, but I think he was going to leave. And I wrote him a note about, I wrote him a note of thank you. Like, thank you. Thank you for taking so much time with my kids. Like this class changed my life. And now my kids are talking about how it's changing their life. And they use it all the time. And so he, he signed up and he's teaching another year. Um, <laughs> all right. Um, well, before we get too far, I will kick us off. What have yeah. you been doing for the last 35 years? Lee, <laughs> that sounds like a big number. Yeah, well, you can share some highlights and, you know, maybe some key inflection points, some maybe take us from when you graduated, where you went, and then like what have been the big, the big moments or small ones? I think I probably lived my life. I probably lived a lot of my life like a tumbleweed after um, after I graduated from the academy. I went to school in California and got a degree in quantitative economics and landed back home in Albuquerque, not knowing where I would go. Um, there's always a chasing a girl story somewhere in here. So I ended up chasing a girl to Washington, D.C. They were at the Naval Academy and I got a job as an intern in the Senate Budget Committee which was random. And while I was there, um, they talked about investment banking and there were two out of cycle positions open at a top tier investment bank. And I got one of them. And so I ended up in investment banking for two years. Um, all of those folks knew what they were getting into. I didn't. Um, so they were headed to fancy MBAs and I was not. Um, so I, I came back home. It was a fun time. Eric Burton was in law school and he came and spent his first summer of law school working at an Applebee's while I finished out my iBanking contract. That was a riot. And on the drive back home, we went through Indiana and Eric had um, met a girl he was going to get married to and they'd broken up and he decided they were going to get back together. And he needed me to wingman off her sister because he was persona non gratis um, in that family. And um, Anyway, so we drove through and I met her and um, her name's Kate. And anyway, if I ever imagined the person that I was ever going to end up married to, I saw her in that exact moment of time. Um, and so I came back home and I, to this day, don't know how Intel Corporation got my name, but I got picked up at Intel Corporation, 
joined up at UNM to get my master's in business and um, was actually living with Eric. And my wingman work with Kate, uh, with Kate translated into us dating with her in Indiana and me here for three years. And then we got married a couple of years. She moved out here and we got married in 2000. Anyhow, you have so, always been an overachiever and going from, I'm going to be a wingman to I'm going to marry <laughs> this woman. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. And what happened with Eric? Did he marry the guy? Eric, Eric did. Eric got back together with Jennifer. So he and I married sisters. Um, <gasps> he's, got, he's got a boy and a girl. And, That's so cool. Um, I've, got a, I've got a girl and a boy. And... Um, yeah, that's cool. They're they're close to their cousins, and he's moved back to Indiana with Jennifer, um, and Kate stayed out here in Albuquerque with me. But yeah, if that if that hadn't gone down that way, who knows what would have happened? My romance that took me out to the East Coast flamed out in a horrible fashion, um, but much better came of it. There's you know there's a great country western song about thank God for unanswered prayer. <laughs> yeah, um, I know that song. Yeah, I, I live it. The <laughs> Anyhow, so I worked at Intel for 11 years. I kind of had a fork in the road where we we could have gone to China or I could have gotten drawn out into a venture-backed firm, and that's what I did. I went into a venture-backed manufacturing firm and really spent the next seven years in, in technical and then executive management for finance and operations for an engineer. We, we built capital equipment that treated water, um, and so... Anyway, it was a great experience, but when the CEO turned over, they didn't pick me as the next one, which was sad. Um, and so I tried I tried consulting, and I'm the worst consultant ever because I could only give my opinion away for free. Um, but it ended up landing me a job in San Diego running a software company that was super cool. We were, you know, we were putting on 100,000 new subscribers a month in this telecom. You could get a... U.S. phone number anywhere in the world and a dollar of free calls, and we could manage calls for a penny a call um, per minute. But as fast as we were giving them out, somebody was trying to steal the dollar. It was really a wild experience. But San Diego was great for a year. The kids had a great time. They did great in school, and um, they had a chance to go to really cool um, school for gifted kids. But the company I was at wasn't really serious and Kate couldn't get her teaching licenses transferred correctly. She's got a super interesting background in deaf education. And um, anyway, it was, that was a, we just couldn't get it landed right. So we came back home and I had this cool manufacturing job here lined up. Um, I was going to be a worldwide manufacturing VP for a publicly traded company. And it went into reorganization as they were handing me the offer. And so they pulled it back. Um, and I was orphaned and adrift back in New Mexico. And so my wife told me, she's like, just, just dust it off. Go be an instructor for a while. You've earned a lot of bullet holes. I'd started another company in biotech that hadn't done very well. Well, failed magnificently. Um, and I mean, these were all really good experiences, but like I was just adrift. So I went to CNM to talk to him about, um, being an instructor and I met with kind of the traditional academic side and they, they really brushed me off that, um, that, if, you know, I didn't have enough of a teaching background. I needed to go get a big, all my fundamentals in it. And 
um, so I started working my network and after the loop of the network, turns out CNN was posting a job and it started a nonprofit corporation that is the commercial arm for the college called CNM. What I'm saying, can you tell me what CNM is? I just don't know. New Mexico Community College. You guys will remember it as TV. Okay. Okay, cool. Cool. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. About 20 years ago, they decided it was going to be central New Mexico Community College, but in our lifetimes together, it was TVI. Mm-hmm. And so uh, largest higher ed institution in New Mexico. Um, and it's just a community college, so it's nothing fancy. But they went off on this really cool statute called the New Mexico Research Park and Economic Development Act and formed this entity called CNM Ingenuity. And um, its job was innovation and training, partnership development for the college, and revenue diversification for the college, the community, and individuals. That was the old elevator speech. And um, I took over as its first um, executive director eight years ago, and I'm still here. We've grown it about, if you take top line revenues, we've grown it into about 2000%. We'll do a little over $16 million a year. Um, and um, we do really cool stuff. We, we do really amazing workforce-based training that's super in-depth, that just really life-transforming, take mm-hmm. folks from really non-resilient um, jobs into really deep tech resilient jobs in coding or internet you know, things or you name it. If you name it, we can train it and we do. Um, but we also do commercial development for the college. We do entrepreneurship. We opened a venture capital arm um, and had our own venture fund. We're now, we are now building our second venture fund. Um, we're out in the market looking for LPs. It's really a New Mexico community-facing venture fund. Cool. Um, we would hope to close it at 10 million, which isn't gigantic, but it would set us up for a fund three at about 50 million. Um, 10 really cool companies we're invested in. And then managed services. So the state, you know, New Mexico is a quirky place. It's, um, it has a really great sovereign fund that they are beginning to invest into funds that they have and will give money back to the community in perpetuity. Um, but they often need some management help or managed service help. And so we have a managed service arm that helps do mm-hmm. that. One in early childhood that provides wage supplement and tuition reimbursement for anybody that goes into early childhood mm-hmm. programs, for example. Oh, that's cool. And so, uh, that's just like one of a dozen. We do Skills USA and we run a big grant program for the city of Albuquerque. So, and Kyle, anyway, I- it's just, weird mishmash. So I'm wondering with your current role, how much collaboration, formal or informal, is there with some of the public agencies in New Mexico? You know, here are the jobs we know we're going to need in 10 years, or here's, you know, with early childhood, the, the pay versus what you need to do to be credentialed is so difficult to retain people in that field. So I'm, I'm wondering how that informs your, your work. Yeah. um, Well, it'd be every day. So in growing the, in growing the company on behalf of the college, we're probably up to about a hundred staff or so now, maybe 120 um, who work across all branches of it. Um, And if you take like the governor's executive arm, so we talk to the economic development part of economic development department on a weekly basis. We talk to the um, state 
made a cabinet seat for early childhood. So we talked to early childhood on a weekly basis. Um, Department of Workforce Solutions on a daily basis. Um, we do a lot of stuff in tech. So we're always, right now it's still a cabinet position, but we're in talking with Do It, which is the Department of IT on a daily basis. So, and then at the city level, because of the areas of service, we work a ton with the city as well. So the economic development work we do is really in close association with um, the city and the state to try and get folks into just highly resilient jobs and get everybody involved. And so there's a huge aspect of our work to get people involved that are often not involved in this kind of learning. So when you talk about coding, you know, um, underrepresented populations, um, women often not invited to the table. And so the nature of what we built at Ingenuity is to be much more inviting and welcoming for everybody to participate. And often when you talk about like, you're going to go learn computer science, you can just watch people's minds shut down or, um, you tell somebody like, this is going to happen on the college campus and you can just see somebody like, that's not for mm-hmm. me. And instead we have different places that we offer that kind of training. And we, we have cool names that we call all of it and they all have their own brands if you go looking for it. And it's just much more accessible to people. And the state's done a really good job, set aside money for us to um, offer the scholarship for folks to go participate in it. And our results have been bonkers. Like... Um, over the last eight years, on about what well, equates to about seven million dollars in tuition, we've increased the wages by no less than two hundred and fifty million over folks having stayed in their prior roles of their yeah. life, um, with an estimated economic impact of a little over a billion dollars. And that's just one of the programs we run. I think it's, so, I think this is so interesting, just given right now this kind of interesting moment in higher education, where you're seeing the value of a four-year kind of college degree where you walk out with a bachelor's of art in the humanities (laughs) really on the decline right and I feel like that's so much of what I thought that's what college was going to be forever and you're really seeing a switch and and you know I you went to Stanford and you probably know that like the decline in history and English majors is pretty remarkable right And on the other side, you've got these incredible programs. California has an amazing community college, uh, you know, um, network. And, you know, the work that you're doing, it's really like helping to transform people's socioeconomic trajectory um, in really different ways. You know, Mm -hmm. it's not just a four-year college degree. So I think it's really remarkable and just so interesting. Well, the world's... um... The world's changing faster than we think. I was listening to a different podcast. I was on Instagram. I don't even remember who it was. One of the real famous investors out of Silicon Valley was saying, if just a couple of years ago, if you'd asked me what somebody needed to study in school, it was number one, engineering, number two, engineering, number three, engineering. And then he, the guy said, he said, if you asked me this year, it would be digital media or English because you have to learn how to use um, chat bots and yeah. AI and interact with them in a different mm, way. Yeah. And he said, as important as, as important as engineering was yesterday, the ability to communicate both visually and in written form matters way more going forward than it did just five years ago. So maybe the pendulum will swing. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Um, but we have a center here, like we've got some bonkers stuff that we've done. Um, the college's total budget's about 200 million a year. And the 
current administration put out a grant called the Build Back Better grant, and the winners would win $100 million. And I remember going to the president of the college going, hey, we're going to go lead this grant for $100 million or so, half of the college's budget. <laughs> um, she left, gave me, she laughed, like, there's no way. Anyway, I was like, yeah, I know there's no way, but we should do it. Um, and so we created a grant called the Space Valley Coalition to build the space industry in New Mexico, and we won the first round, and we ended up in the finalist round. Um, that was a shocking moment. You know, it's, you know, you go fishing for tuna and you catch a great white shark. Anyway, <laughs> that was a little thrilling. So we didn't end up winning, which was fine, but we ended up with a half million dollar grant that we turned around and parlayed into um, we are now a finalist in the regional engines grant for the Space Valley Coalition with the NSF for $160 million. Um, we didn't lead that one, thank God. A different group did, but we're one of the three pillars of it. Um, but I think it's really crazy, right? Um, if I think back to when we were kids and we think about TVI, we didn't think about TVI. We didn't, like, none of us thought about going to TVI. But now you've got this community college that led on a $100 million grant and is seen as a central pillar in New Mexico for the space industry. Like, it's a crazy thing. And so we also ended up with the Blockchain Center of Excellence for the state of New Mexico, literally in the building where I have my office. And we'll do all of the Web3 work, all the blockchain work, all of AI, machine learning components will be part of our training profile. And the reality is, is like, I am not an educator. I am a tech company operations and finance manager. And it took them a long time to decide to hire me into this role. Um, but they were looking for somebody who was an entrepreneur. And I had to laugh, like I'm the last person in the world who I would have called an entrepreneur also. Um, but as the years went, like I said, I was just a tumbleweed that blew into things, but it, every, every fence I blew in into and got stuck from, I learned a little bit. And in the company that I was in before, um, the 2008 crisis hit, we were selling capital equipment, nobody had any money. You were, there was this whole built in America thing that had to happen and it was just killing, like there was no recovery that was happening. And we were, we ended up in, as a part of the millennial projects in Mexico and I spent months in Chiapas, Mexico, trying to sell equipment to, if Chiapas, Mexico as a country would have the highest infant mortality rate in the world. Mm. And so, and it's all like 95% of that is waterborne illness or like the third highest, really, really serious. So part of the millennial project was to get clean drinking water into Chiapas, Mexico. And boy, I hadn't dust off my Spanish in a long time, but <laughs> ended up negotiating our largest contract that we ever had at that company. And, um, Anyway, just realize that like, if if you can give people what they need and you're good and you can live up to your promises that you make with it, um, that um, that you have to put yourself out there to go try the thing you've never done before. And so there I often in Mexico selling water capital equipment to the poorest state in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Um, and after that, I, I don't know, I guess I kind of became a bit of an entrepreneur. And and then I got this job and um, it's folks talk about it's a super agile environment and we can solve, you know, what we do is we just solve people's problems and, and we do a good job at it. And um, we have a lot of respect in doing it. And it's been super fun. And I'd have never ended up here if my wife hadn't been like, just go talk to him about teaching a couple of classes. It's meaningful work and it's a lot of fun. And 
and it kept me from traveling all over the world while my kids were, you know, eight to 18. And that's been a huge deal. I'm super close to my kids and, um, everything they do. And, um, like we were talking about earlier, you know, they're Academy kids and lifers and, um, Audrey's my daughter. She's the older one. She went ahead. She had options to go a lot of places, but she thought to herself, I'm going to have to pay for graduate school anyway, kind of this whole model. So she's like, I'll just sign up for UNM. So she signed up for UNM. Um, I won't make you take it out, but there's a long list of terrible things I can say about UNM's STEM core. Um, Poor thing. She was a fantastic student at the Academy, but just UNM was a really rough matriculation event for a super student. Um, Mm -hmm. And not because she wasn't good at it, but just not organized to take care of super high achievers. Mm -hmm. She is now finishing up that first semester and she rocked it. Um, And she's like a student Senate clerk for the student Senate. And she kind of found her tribe of people, which are all pre-med or med students that ran the student government there. And she took a country Western class and met some cute boys and, I was okay with music appreciation class. I did. Yeah. (laughs) Um, You know, she's in the top 0.5% of listeners to Tim McGraw on Spotify. (laughs) My son was in the top one tenth of a percent for Zach Bryant. So yeah, I've got a lot of country Western. (laughs) I'm a big country fan. Don't worry. I I hear you. (laughs) Um, My son was a, you know, he was a really, my actually Audrey graduated with the athletics award at the Academy she was in a varsity sport 12 times. Wow. Wow. Now, three of those were managing, four of those were managing the football team, or three of those were managing the football team. Um, but she was the grittiest thing ever, and she'd set these goals every year, and and she just, she got there, and um, she was really a great technical student, like whether it was the math classes or the science classes. And so anyway, she's going to go declare as a Kimmy. We'll see if she stays as a Kimmy, but um, anyway, super proud of her. My dad worked at UNM for 40 years. So he was um, a history historian, history department chair. And, you know, I mean, he had a wide, very wide range of students, some really top of top of superstars and some, you know, really challenge, challenging for him. But the history department at UNM, and I can imagine across the board too, that was such an interesting group because they were all really amazing professors and good teachers too. They were there to teach. UNM is not was not like known for its research. It was a research, high research institution. I mean, it does do research, but I mean, my dad was there to teach teach students. And sometimes if you go off to college, you, you get teachers who are really interested in their own research and less interested yeah. in teaching. So. So that's still true. Those programs still have wonderful teachers like the honors program, history classes, um, still really an exceptional school, but the college, the university has shifted to try and be a tier one research mm-hmm. entity. And um, folks are really caught up in that tier one preeminent research facility and um yeah in the stem core uh, arts and sciences they're terrible like oh, no. <laughs> anyway, it's just been terrible now it's not to say there aren't some really wonderful people there but as a as a core like one department of this university is containerized from the next department is containerized from the next department and from a student perspective that's just an awful yeah. place to be yeah. so audrey was trying to get placed in the mass she'd had calculus 
she had kind of a goofy calculus teacher at the academy, took them all the way through differential equations. So she shows up and, and between, she took the placement exams and she got a perfect score every time on the placement exam, except for all 20 questions didn't actually turn up. So she'd get an 18 out of 18 or a 16 out of 16. And like, you have to get a 20. And she's like, I can't get a 20 because your system's broken. I'm like, yeah, we know. And so then they tried to push her all the way back. It's crazy. So they tried to push her all the way back to algebra two. We couldn't get it broken through. So I'm like, just try CNM. So she went to CNM. She applied. She filled out the information at 930 at night. And by the next day at 215, she was enrolled in calculus at, at CNM. Wow. Which is nice because I get like a, I get a family discount so she could go for free. So she's taking calculus two at CNM again, but it puts her at like 19 credit hours. But she had a really great experience with it. And the, the university just made it so hard. In fact, the advisors at the university told her, you should really just take all of your calculus at CNM. You'll probably be happier. Um, and that came from the university itself. So off she goes. Um, and what about your son? He is a neat kid. He wrestled in eighth grade and got beat by this kid up in Las Lunas. And by all measures, Dalton was as capable and as strong as this kid. Um, well, let me back up. Dalton was probably as good as this kid. And he was bigger and lankier. And this kid beat him out of more experience. And he clearly had been working out. And he walked off of that mat that day, kind of looked at us and said, I will never get beat because the other kid worked harder than me. Um, and was more disciplined than me. Like that'll never happen. They're, they're just going to have to be better at it than I am. So at age 12, he started getting up every morning at five o'clock and he'd go lift weights. And it was really sad at the beginning, but by the time he was 16, like he's a, he's just a little buff animal. And he, um, he kind of wrecked his shoulder in wrestling. So he's had it worked on a couple of times, but he got really serious about football. And so last year, um, he got a lot of recruiting signals last year and then pulled his hamstring and track. So, his senior year kind of went a little wonk, but you know he really wants to go play college football at the best school he can. And so um, life has an interesting way of throwing, and he really wanted to play Division One football. He's got this vision of himself running out into a stadium with 80,000 screaming people. Um, and I'm glad he does because I don't have that. Um, <laughs> um, he's a super private kid, but he still imagines like running out. So I think it's fair. I think it's safe to say it. And I don't know what will work out, but he's got a couple of division three schools that really love him to come play. Um, one's called Wabash and it's an all boys school. And he's just like, yeah, um, he's a real, he's got a lot better Riz than I've got. So as he likes to put it, um, <laughs> my grandfather went to Wabash college after flunking out of Amherst. Really? <laughs> uh, there you go. It is a neat, it is a neat school. The more we learn about it and it's got a really great football program cool. in division three, but it's in Crawfordsville, Indiana. And like, and it's an all boys school, anyway, painful. Um, but they really love him. So who knows, but he just found out last week, he got three of the congressional appointment letters for the military academies. Oh, wow. And so um, he's going to have a choice in front of me, one for merchant Marines, one for the Navy and one for the army. Um, so I don't think he thought that was going to happen. So I think all of a sudden he's like, Ooh. man, that might happen. <laughs> uh, and then he's got, he's got some hope holding out for a couple of other schools to see if they come through. But anyway, he will not go to UNM. He will go somewhere else. And um, I think he'll go someplace where there's really a 
he'll go to the best academic program he can and be able to play ball. So for the next few years, he went, they got to the quarterfinals of the state um, championship this year, like they have every year. And um, I told him when he was a kid and he started playing, I said, there'll be a day when you walk off the field and you'll take off the cleats and you'll know you're never going to put them on again. And so he came off the field and he took off his cleats and he looked at me and Kate and Audrey and he's like, I'm going to wear cleats again. So anyway, he's going to end up somewhere where he can go play and get the best education he can and try not to bankrupt Kate. (laughs) Well, it sounds like you and Kate have raised two children who are remarkably disciplined and hardworking, have a vision for their futures. How? I guess I need some advice. No. Exactly. Wait, wait. What, what wisdom can you impart to me? I'm seriously not responsible for any of that. You know what I would tell you is we did in fact raise them with only two rules, which was listen and have fun. Now the kids will tell you, we gave them a couple of others, which was study science and math as long as you can and don't do drugs, which is fair. We did used to tell them that, but that was more like a value, not a rule. Um, but we really did raise them without a lot of rules. And I probably give a lot of credit to my mom who always wanted me to try more things. So we were always trying things. And then Kate's a really amazing educator. And so when the kids were little, she spent a ton of time. She was one of the first people to create online courses for CNM, actually when it was TVI. And so she, she was able to teach in the time frames when she could go spend time at the school. So she spent a lot of time in school with Mm -hmm. them, just a lot of time with them. And then they also saw her working really hard. And then they saw me working really hard. And then we just didn't saddle them with a ton of rules. Um, And then the rest of it, like, I don't know. When Dalton woke up that morning, he's like, nobody's ever going to beat me again. And then he just, I'm not lying in the slightest. Every morning, five o'clock in the morning, he would get up, he would go work out, he would do the dishes. He'd do his homework, he'd go to school, he'd come home, he'd work out after practice, like um, go to bed, like go to bed at eight o'clock, like this kid. Um, and then he would have fun on the weekends and like, he's a, he's a slayer, boy, he's a lady killer. Um, he's just a neat kid. And he, like when we moved to California, it's hard when you go to a new school because you don't fit in and there's a pecking order but he was just like a half step faster than all the kids around him. And so if everybody was playing with marbles, he'd show up playing with fidget spinners and it, one, it kept him out of like competing for the hierarchy. And two, he just, everybody was like, what's this interesting kid going to go do? Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Audrey's relating to the teacher and like instructing the, you know, like the class size was 35 kids. And she literally had him like teaching lessons for, for certain batches of the kids. And that's because, I mean, she saw Kate in the classroom with him. And then I can't explain Dalton. Like, that kid's cool as hell. <laughs> I love hearing how proud you are of both of your kids yeah. and of Kate. Yeah. It's really yeah. wonderful. That's great. Yeah, I love it. I, I have a question. You know, one of the things that Jessica and I were talking about um, before you got on was the fact that you came every day to school from Berlin, right? Am I correct when I'm yeah. And oh, yeah. I really think about you as being someone who really loved that sort of lifestyle. You ran, I think your dad was a rancher, right? I mean, yeah. Um, yeah, are you me still, 
are you still doing that? Where do you live? Are you involved in any kind of, are you connected to the land at all? I wish. Um, you know, we still, so in high school, my dad got fed up. I got to back mouth him when I was like 13 and he picked me up in the summer and drove me off to the ranch with my uncle. There was this saying like the son is always more respectful to the uncle than the father. It turns out <laughs> it's true. Um, and so I spent most of my summers as a, I mean, as a cowboy. And then I did it through all of college when I would come back over the summers, which probably led to, I didn't really have much of a career path because I was always coming back cow poking. But anyway, um, but my dad died right before I graduated university and mom ran the farm. My mom ran actually for New Mexico state Senate just after he died and lost by just a fraction of a percentage point. And, just didn't feel welcomed in the, and then they tried an eminent domain to take our farm to do a freeway overpass. And so she fought the government for that. And so by the time it was done, my mom was done with Valencia County. And um, so she sold the farm. And so we still have a place up in the mountains down in the Gila, but we don't do any ranching on it. We lease it out. Um, she sold the farm and, um, and I've missed it so badly this last eight years. Like, I think both of my kids would have really thrived on it. So the closest I've gotten was a few years ago, maybe six years ago, they bought me a beehive and I've been trying to raise bees for the last six years. Um, my mom still has a little farm down in the South Valley. And so this year we're gonna go raise, I don't know, a half dozen beehives and see if we can't have, see if we can't bottle some honey successfully. Um, that's the closest I am. My husband is a beekeeper. We have two hives. <laughs> Congratulations, because I'm just a bee killer. So. Thank you. We got about two, we pulled two, a little over two gallons of honey pretty recently, which was plenty for us. That's enough. <laughs> That's awesome. We did, um, yeah, I think the the best year we had, we did three gallons, but we've, we've had a really hard time um, wintering them over. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Not because they all die. Actually, they almost all of them have swarmed away. Anyway, sadness. Yeah. But Audrey's, Audrey's got plans to go start like a whole apiary club at the cool. university because they don't have one and get her USDA license. for. <laughs> the funny, the company that I worked at when I left Intel is called Myox Corporation and we made electrolyzed salt. So we made, we basically made bleach, but um, you can electrolyze any kind of salt and then you can get all kinds of byproducts. And so they've now taken that technology. So they electrolyze salts that create an amino acid, but it turns out it's a really good nutrient and it's a really almost perfect pesticide that has no side effects. Mm. I'm no longer part of that company, but that technology has gone on to advance to another company called Terravera. So they were doing work like selling it into the marijuana industry <laughs> to go save marijuana plants. And I told them, I said, you gotta, you have a less controversial field you could go into if you could treat bees. And so now they're making equipment treating bees. Yeah. Anyway. Because you can get real bad mites with bees. That's right. Yeah. So they treat the mites and it works like flawlessly. Cool. And there's no side. I mean, it just, it dissolves into these really hard, harmless amino acids. Cool, cool technology. So that's the closest I get. I'm a bee rancher, but. I'm a really bad one. Uh, we'll see how this year goes. 
Well, you come out to a Stanford reunion at all. You can come out and see our two little hives that produce. I will. You are in the best place because you don't like, yeah. I haven't made Stanford reunions either. <laughs> so we shouldn't feel too badly. The <laughs> 30th was this year. I, um, the best they did was actually fill out the form. It was like a yearbook thing. I, that's as close as I've gotten. I just, you know, super impressed with folks like Rob, who goes out of his way to keep people connected. And Michael Feets and Mark Thompson are out here. And, you know, it's, it's interesting it's interesting being a lurker, you know, Mark's become a really renowned cardiologist out here. And then Tommy is Tommy. I actually ran into him at the donor dinner for CNN the other day. It was fantastic. Mm -hmm. And um, need to get in touch with him again, but like, there's a really strong crowd, you know, Melanie teaches at the Academy. Mm -hmm. um, there's just a really strong crowd of people that continue to get together from time to time. And every once in a while I'll eke out of the office, but um you know, it's just really, a, I'm just, you spend your whole day professionally interacting with others. And when I finally get home to be by myself, I do a really good job being by myself. So, um, but I have thought a lot about this next reunion and, and when you guys did this and just been so impressed again with all those folks to just keep in touch and the relationships that just pay back. Anyway, I think it's really cool that you're keeping us connected. Like, Let's be fair. The 89 Chargers alumni page is hot. So. <laughs> that is true. That is true. It is, it is amazing. Like, I'm, hoping that and, as, you know, I'm that. hoping that as many of us are becoming empty nesters, that we'll have more time for these friendships to reconnect. I feel mm -hmm. like there was kind of across the board diminished contact for several years. And it feels to me like it's picked back up, not just because of this, obviously, but just, I think people have more time and are reflecting on, you know, what do I want to do with the next few years? And who do I, who do I miss? And who do I want to see what they're yeah. up to? Well, and there's just this less, there's less, I find as every day goes by, I get more comfortable with myself and there's, it's less about like, there's this genuine love for what other people are doing and where they've had success and where they've um, made other connections or, and so like when you're scrambling out of high school and, and going into university, like it is a scramble and we're all, I don't want to say like folks were competing against each other, but I suspect there was some of that. And then you get into these ages where there's envy or whatever else. Maybe I'm the only one that has like all seven deadly sins. I pretty much <laughs> nah. um, um, but you finally cross over a line and you're like, oh my God, I'm just going to enjoy my life today. Yeah. Um, and, and, it, and then you start looking back and going like, I can think of a lot of time that we all spent together. That, like I think a lot about high school. It's a huge blob of my memory in my most formative years. And all the memories I have, like, please don't remind me of any embarrassing ones, but <laughs> They're all good, right? Like I only remember the good ones. I'm like one of those people that only stores of that stuff, the great memories of, of everybody. And um, the other is like, we get these self-reflections, like, I don't know, coming out, like I was kind of a jerk in a lot of places, particularly through university. And um, I didn't know it. And, and I had, but I still had friends that were trying to tell me <laughs> anyway. So after a lot of self-reflection, you know, you get into your, 50s and you're like 
I kind of was a jerk. And then like, anyway, so now that you can just get together and like, we can all enjoy each other Mm -hmm. in the most authentic way. Yeah. So I'm curious what the, you mentioned that at this stage, you feel like there's this level of self-acceptance and you're not the first person to mention this actually. Um, We had a a long conversation about that with Peter Kelleher. Um, For you, I mean, what stands out when you say self-acceptance? Like what, what did you have to accept? Um, well, I lost my hair. Um, um, that's more recently, though. I think that's stress-induced. When I finally quit working, it's often like that. Um, For sure. Look, I, I was a really great track athlete. I went to a really high-energy university, and then I went into investment banking. And then, um, and actually, in that time, I I entered, I got involved in bodybuilding, and I was a second runner-up in a national before and after bodybuilding contest. So I got super fed. Um, and then like life happens. And um, when Kate had the kids, um, feeding them was a bit of a chore. So it involved a lot of ice cream and like she stopped eating ice cream and I kept eating ice cream. And <laughs> the, so there's, there's this, there's this, I wake up every morning imagining I'm going to go look in the mirror and see actually, I think I'm going to go see the kid I was in high school and I don't. And, and then I'm like, I'm also the adult in the room and I've been the adult in the room for professionally for all of the years I've worked. And to be fair, that's not very much fun. Like I'm not an independent contributor. I'm a leader manager of the organizations I've been in. And, um, I've been through some, I've been through, I ran and participated in seven layoffs over the course of 14 years. And if, if after two of them, we had two people commit suicide, like, um, so anyway, you stack all that, like you stack all of that part together inside a body that doesn't look like what you wake up in the morning, think it's going to be. Mm-hmm. And, and it's particularly awful because when I, cause my son looks almost exactly like me, mm. like shockingly <laughs> similar looking yeah. kids. Um, and so it's even worse. It's not only in the mirror. Like when I go down and have breakfast, I'm like looking at myself going, too many Christmas. Jeez. Anyway, <laughs> um, I've warned him, watch out for snacks after you're 25. But anyway, the, <laughs> the, um, so it's that. Like I am who I am. Like my wife's the one that's often told me, he's like, today is the best we'll feel today. So like, accept it. And then the things you can change, you go change and the things you can't, you accept and like love the moment of today. And I didn't have as much of, uh, I had a, a lot more of the looking back, scratching my head, and a lot more of looking forward, wishing for things. And it's only in this last few years where I've been like, today's a great day. Um, I mean, Travis Tritt's got, you know, if we're going to do a country Western here, Travis Tritt, today's a great day to be alive. Um, Sun's still shining. I'm still alive. So anyway, I think I'll make me some homemade soup. Anyway, song just goes on. He's going to grow up and chew. Like I'm totally down with that. Like just a couple of days ago, I hadn't I hadn't shaved for months. I don't not quite as furry looking as Harry Hank, but um, but I shaved it and left it with a Fu Manchu and went out and saw my wife. I was I was instructed it wasn't my best look. So. Anyway. <laughs> 
Well, I'm curious, you're in the present. That's so awesome. Are there a couple things that you're excited about over the next few years as your son maybe heads out, would become empty nesters? Are there things you and Kate have planned? I would like in the near future, if we can squirrel away enough pennies um, to go do some world travel with the kids. That's one thing, you know, we made the sacrifice to send them to the academy. We really didn't have, you know, we've done well, but not enough to go travel the world. And I think, I think we missed out taking the kids around. So I'm um, 51 days into Duolingo of learning Greek. Cause I think going to Greece would be fantastic. Yeah. Cool. One of my coworkers, families in Greece, they have a olive farm there. And I'm like, that'd be, that'd be awesome. So, so that is, that is an absolute plan that I hope we execute on. Um, depending on where Dalton goes, there'll be a fair amount of travel, probably back to Indiana, which will be great for Kate to see your family and um, catch some football games for him in the, what is it? The Northern coast athletic conference. Or I don't know what it is. Something. Mm-hmm. It's literally schools in Ohio and Indiana. Anyway, um, that would be fun. I'm super excited. I'm super excited to see where both of my kids want to go to med school. Mm. We all know that when you start, that's a always an interesting option, but the reality may be a very different thing. Audrey's well on her way. The whole reason Dalton likes Wabash is it's got a 92% acceptance rate to the top, I mean, to medical school at all, but most of them are top. And actually the football players in the last four years have a hundred percent acceptance rate to medical school. Awesome. And he wants to go study psychiatry. Again, super interesting kid. Hmm. A couple of years ago, one of his closest friends at the academy suddenly and super unexpectedly and unexplainably committed suicide. Hmm. And he had always wanted to do bioengineering. And after that happened, um, I'm looking on my like Amazon bill and there's these books about psychiatry mm-hmm. and studying like sort of these really deep books about studying mental health. And, and then it came out, he's like, I'm going to go study psychiatry. Cause I'm never going to get like, he's like, I'm never going to get caught flat footed like that again. Yeah. And so like that has driven him in his direction from Audrey. She started, she was a co-found another lady founded it, but Audrey helped her sand it up um, palliative care for children. Cause New Mexico has really terrible laws about palliative care for children. Like you can end up, you can end up going to jail if you go, don't get your kid the right help, um, even though they're dying. Like it's a weird set of laws in New Mexico. And so a lot of people end up going up to Colorado Mm -hmm. and it has to do with like how you take care of them in the home and other things. And so it's called the hero's path and Audrey helped set up that. And she just has like a natural affinity to connect, particularly with children. It doesn't matter whether they're super bright children or whether they're children that have some kind of tragedy that's befallen or whatever. She just connects with them. And so she herself wants to go be a pediatric geneticist. That's her real. Mm. Wow. So I'm super excited to see like what really plays out for the next five years, because to be fair, I was all about worry for the last two years and then, and then realized like it works itself out. And, and now that the, particularly this semester as rough as it was on Audrey and as Dalton, like he took, flipping hard classes to finish out his senior year and the kid's making it look like it's just the easiest thing he's ever done. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's working out the way it's supposed to. And so I'm really excited to see where, what happens and what lands with them. Um, Kate 
will this, I mean, these, these things that we're talking about are just mind boggling for me. My wife will have earned her retirement from the ERB system in New Mexico. I think that's just crazy. Like for any of us to be talking about, like I can pull a pension if I want. Right. So I'm kind of hoping she decides and picks up a different um, profession somewhere else. Like um, both of us, she, she has this group of ladies. When she moved here, she got into deaf education and she worked with a lady that invented a way, it's called sign writing. It was super controversial in the deaf community, but it was really interesting from a academic standpoint that if you wanted to learn how to read, if you, but you were learning sign language, the phonetics don't work. And so they created sign writing which is like how you learn to dance, choreography dance, but with your hands. So deaf kids could learn how to read, even though they didn't, you weren't, so you weren't frustrated by the phonetics. Fantastic work, like the articles in the New York Times, and they were interviewed for 60 minutes, although it never aired. Anyway, that group of um, ladies teaching in deaf education have stayed together for the last 23 years, longer, 25 years. Um, one of them the other day is like, it's about, she, she was meeting with Kate and she's like, every eight years you two get an itch to do something different. It's about time. So I'm excited to see if my wife hangs up these shingles and then takes down this shingle and hangs up, hangs up another one. But she's got a really, she's got, she's just really good at her yeah. job. Just the world changed. Um, I am certain, I am certain at our reunion, I'll be wearing a hearing aid. Because I am certain I lost thirty to forty percent of my hearing due to catching COVID. Mm. Um, we're finding a huge spike in people that are losing their hearing or having vision troubles associated with catching COVID. Mm. The caseload in New Mexico for either um, kids that have been through an abusive environment or drug environment is going up, and the state puts them back in the home. And so, Kate's an early intervention for families with kids with hearing loss. So between COVID and that practice. It's just really hard work, but she's really, really good at it. So I love her to find a place where it wasn't so heartbreaking. Mm. Long answer to your question. Sorry. Oh, I love it. Those are some amazing future plans that feel um, both exciting adventures as well as just the what's been great is to see how people reinvent themselves over time to opportunities to try new things. So what a great mix. We'll be bee wranglers. <laughs> Yeah. My, yeah, Kate would like me to go back to painting again. Mm. Um, and then we'll see what she does. And then hopefully the kids find a passion that we can go spend some time with them. I always, I never, ever, 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 ever wanted to be a grandparent. Like, to be fair, like, I only like my kids. <laughs> kids are terrible. Yeah, seriously, I'm, I'm a horrible person, but I admit it. As the kids got older, it turns out I actually liked a lot of their friends and I like them. And um, But now like, I think about my kids having kids and I'm like, that wouldn't be so bad. Um, so there's that sometime in the next decade, I suppose. I'd like to not be sold if they decide to have kids that I can still go, you know. Have some fun with them. Yeah, beat a five-year-old in an arm wrestling contest. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. all right well i think we should do our flash round this is our Bravo. our trip back to high school before mm -hmm. we do that what are your memories of yourself 
from high school? How do you remember yourself? Gosh. Um, I remember being lanky and fast. Um, I remember... I remember getting along with everybody, but not being in any single group. Mm. Although most of my time was spent with the kids that studied science and math, mm -hmm. that crowd. Um, I remember being painfully shy. Mm. Um, I mean, girls showing up in eighth grade was the most terrifying thing that ever happened. <laughs> I remember, uh, I think it's probably looking back from really, I remember being kind of a dumbass and saying a lot of stupid things. <laughs> um, I remember trying hard in school and it mattering a lot to try hard in school. And so I was kind of a rule follower and was always paying attention in class. That's what I remember. Pretty good. Wonderful. Okay. Well, we have 10 questions that we're going to ask you and you probably know them if you listen to any podcast, although we've been changing them around a little bit. So we're keeping you on your toes. Okay. Um, I will be on my toes. Okay. I admittedly didn't listen to everything all the way. <laughs> all right. So our first question, um, and remember you can pass, lie, or tell the truth or some variation of those. Yeah. But who, who was your high school crush? Oh God. You guys are harsh. <laughs> yeah. All right. Question two. We have pulled out the 1989 yearbook. <laughs> you can't surprise me at all because Vrasper did this to my son. <laughs> and one of the one of the three quotations on your page is from a Chinese fortune cookie. And it says, let no one make you violate your code. Yeah. So in 1989, what was your code? <laughs> we were all very dramatic as seniors in high school. Um, <laughs> you know, I um, but I did have a code, which was to try not to be judgmental of others, like to try and be neutral when you entered a situation. Mm. Um, the other, like, obviously it's lifelong struggles of to not um, worry so much about what other people think about you, but to do what you know is right and best for yourself. That would have been my code. But mm -hmm. the reality was I was spending a lot of time worrying about other things, like worrying about things that were outside my control. So very dramatic. Yeah. Love um, it. Okay. Question number three. We're curious about what you were into in the 1980s. So what like 80s fad, trend, film? magazine, whatever it was, like what felt very eighties to you that you were into? Well, I mean, I loved that era of country Western <laughs> and I loved that era of hairband rock and roll. I mean, that was, you know, that was the later stages of Van Halen and David Lee Roth um, rolling into Sammy Hagar. That was some pretty great stuff. <laughs> and that's really when George Strait was, you know, classy. Um, um, to this day, I still love, um, that eighties look on all of like, if Kate dresses up in an eighties look, we're going out. That's awesome. 
<laughs> you want to see her in some leg warmers and some headbands? Yeah, you know, I like the big beard out here. And, um, it's a very funny because Kate's had short blonde hair the whole time I've ever known her. It was always my dream. But um, everyone, I screwed out when we went to California. It was put Farrah Fawcett to shame. Anyway. Oh, I love it. Okay, question four. What car did you drive in high school and how did it meet its demise? I drove a, most of it, I drove a Chevy Citation and it met its demise because I drove a Chevy Citation. You're the third classmate and we've only done 20 of these interviews. You're the third classmate who drove a Chevy Citation. No way. Or Chevy Citations. It was a Chevy Citation until my, anyway, I killed it driving on the dirt roads behind I killed it driving on the dirt roads behind the college. And then I drove whatever vehicle was available. So it was either my dad's Buick Riviera or we had this Dooley Silverado pickup truck. But that was a Chevy Citation as fast as I could drive. (laughs) I killed it. (laughs) All right. So now question number five, we get to go back to a little bit of music. So what song or band would be on the soundtrack for your high school experience? That mixtape, gotta have it. You know, I spent a lot of time on Spotify and almost all of it takes me back to the 80s, but <laughs> if it was the 80s, it would be Guns N' Roses, mm-hmm. um, ACDC, and then you'd roll in George Strait and Randy Travis. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it'd be a really messed up mixtape. <laughs> miss you and I won't ever take you back girl your memory won't ever haunt me cause I don't love you and I feel by that I got some oceanfront property in Arizona from my front porch can see the sea. I got some ocean front property in Arizona. If you'll buy that, I'll throw the golden <laughs> free. All right. Question six. What high school teacher had the greatest influence on you? It's tough. I think there's probably four or five, but the class that lasted with me the longest was Dr. Vraspears. Um, and the, given I got to do a rebound with him and the kids, um, it's it's flashed to mind. The other, as an individual, was um, Mr. Smith, um, who was my, you know, he was a coach for so many mm-hmm. years. And we still see him and he still turns up. Um, Tom Buchanan and I, I just called him a couple of days ago. He and I have been real good friends ever since we left high school. And... Um, he just, he just inspired a love of learning and trying things in me. And he and I have been really good friends. And then, and then the, under the edge of that was like, Doc Lydon was an edge of that mm. and Gardenhire was an edge of that. Um, but it's weird. Like, um, Dave Barney was still there and he, um, Bacalini are still there. And these are ones that 
It's okay if it makes it on it, but they're both absolutely convinced they took classes from them. And I absolutely didn't take classes from them. Um, um, but like Barney fell in love with my daughter because she dove on the swim team. Anyway, so like the relationships are long and there's many of them, but I'd probably go back to like Tom Buchanan ended up being a really good friend of mine for a lot of years. And then Mr. Smith is really important to me. And Brass Beer, in retrospect, became super important because of how much he affected our thinking. So awesome. Oh, I loved Hank Almey's answer to this. I haven't, it hasn't come out yet, but it made me laugh so hard. So I'll be curious to hear what you say. Uh, what artifact? Listen to it. It's going to come out on Tuesday. Right. What artifact from your high school years should you have put in a time capsule that really represented you in high school? I, you know, I think it's how a lot of folks remember me. I probably put my varsity letter with my track pins on it. Mm-hmm. That's probably what I would do. All right. What, if anything, do you regret from high school? <laughs> I regret not going out with and kissing all the girls. <laughs> all the girls. All the girls. All the girls. I love it. I was so shy. I was such a dumbass. <laughs> anyway. Well, I, yeah, that's it. Anyway, we'll go with that. Okay, so, you know, building on that, if you could go back in time and tell your high school some, self something about the future, what would it be? <laughs> um, <laughs> you asked me about the rule. You asked me about the, how we raised our kids. One of the other ones, and my wife would laugh about this too, is I've told both of them, like, I've told my son, like, kiss all the girls. And I've told my daughter, kiss all the boys. Like, um, I don't mean it in some creepy sketch way, but like, um, we get so inside our head about how much other people are thinking, you sort of miss out on just connecting with other people. Mm-hmm. And um, I wish I'd have been less shy and caught up in my own head and I'd spent more time just hanging out with more people. Um, I love that. And I'm glad I did when I met Kate, because that was, those were the bravest days of my life. So you got good stuff out of that. <laughs> I did. It worked out just fine. <laughs> you know, there are, there are maybe a couple others, which is um, see things through, like don't give up before it's time. I let, I, I quit playing football in high school because, because I hurt my shoulder. But you know what? My son hurt his shoulder and he got surgery and he kept playing football and he loves it. And I love football more than anything. So I really quit playing because I was a dick. Mm-hmm. You don't have to put that in. <laughs> but I really regret not playing football all the way through high school because I didn't realize I was going to be 6'3", able to bench 415 pounds mm-hmm. and still run a 4540, which is where I ended up. So I probably would have played mm-hmm. Division One football and I loved it more than anything. Mm-hmm. And that's all my son wanted in life. But I let somebody else take away my joy. And I did the same thing at university and track. I finished third in the Cal Stanford meet and the coach was Brooks. And he said, well, you might as well have been last, which pissed me off. So I told him to fuck off and I walked off the track and never ran track again. But the reality is, is I really should have stuck it out for the four years because you create a whole lifetime of partnerships. 
and it threw me off my game for what I was studying. And it kind of threw me off on a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And so with my kids, you know, it's never been a rule, but I've always encouraged them, like, see it through, see the thing you love through and don't let somebody else knock you off the thing that you love. And I did do a great job at that sometimes. Yeah. And I, that's what I would say to my young self. Yeah. So great. That's some wisdom right there, Kyle. <laughs> All right. This is our last question. What would be the title of your high school memoir? Jesus. Um, my kids said the book I should write is a hundred ways to how to tell people to go away. <laughs> but that's my adult book. <laughs> I guess based on what I tell you, it'd be like kiss all the girls, but um, <laughs> that's, kind of, that's kind of sketchy. <laughs> I don't know. Don't let anybody knock you off your path. Yeah. Maybe it can be a combination. Kiss all the girls, colon. Don't <laughs> 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 I mean, to me, there's this, there's the connection between a hundred ways to tell people to go away and you're wishing that you hadn't. You know, that that totally was going through my mind, Jessica. I was like, well, it goes back to like, yeah, I've done a fun job driving people away. Oh my God. I don't know. You know, th there may be, a, I don't know. It wouldn't be my high school one. Everything's, everything's in the moment today. It's keeping, keep in touch with the people that matter. Like anyway, if you, there's this, there's this whole study about how we spend our time and who we spend our time with and how much time you actually spend with them. And so like with your kids, you spend a huge amount of time with them when they're young, but then the moment they finally leave and they graduate and you take how much time you have left, like from the age of 18 until let's say I live till I'm 80, I'll spend, you know, one year's worth of time in person with my kids for that next 60 yeah, years. Amazing. It's really hard to imagine that. So like my mom, who's 84, um, you know, if I get, if I get 200 days in person with her in the next 10 years, that would be like miraculous. Mm -hmm. And so we have to think like, I think a lot about how I spend my time and recognizing that every moment I get to spend with somebody is really important because like, think about it. We haven't talked to each other in 35 years. Um, and I've just spent an hour with you. Like, this is a really important hour of my life and I really enjoyed it. And who knows, you know, it's, let's hope it's not 35 more years before we get to spend an hour. Um, and, but if we only have so many hours, make sure you're spending them with the people you love the most. Jessica and Carla's High School Reunion is written, directed, and edited by Carla Silver and Jessica Slade. Our theme music, True Sight, is by Jared Matt Greenberg. Please subscribe and listen on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.